0: My name is Dan Byers, and I'm the Robinson Family Director of the Carpenter Center for the Visual Arts at Harvard University.
1: And how do you know me?
0: (laughs) From high school. Um, We are looking at a painting of a man who's staring into the middle distance. His face is somewhat obscured by shadow, um, and more so than his face, the first thing that I notice are his hands which are well lit and there's incredible light that falls on his fingers and articulates the way in which the hands are held. One hand is resting on a hip and you get a sense of weight um, and pressure where the hand meets the hip and one hand is dangling uh, in front of his torso holding a cigarette. The man is wearing a tuxedo, and it's painted in a really sort of stark and generalized way, so you're made very aware of the two colors of black and white, and then just some gray as shadow to give it dimension. It's a very simple image, because there's just black and white and gray and brown, with some flesh tones in the face, but there's no background really besides a sort of generalized white that's very brushy and then um, wainscoting or a door frame that's defined by brown paint. And the arm that is resting on the hip disappears into a shadow on the right side of the canvas and that shadow is almost an identical black as the shadow in the tuxedo. So the body sort of disappears for an instant and then comes back where the hand meets the hip. The band sort of looks past you, not at you. And at least the way the painting is hung, the height of it, the hands are much closer to where an average person's gaze might be. They're probably about four feet off the ground. And the head floats above where most viewers' heads would be. So he really is looking above or past you.
1: What drew you to it?
0: I think my father was the one who introduced me to Max Beckmann, and he worked at Harvard Law School, and, so he, and he'd gone to Harvard as an undergrad, and he'd spent a lot of time, my dad is a psychologist, but he spent a lot of time in the fog when he was a student here and knew the collection very well, and obviously he knew that I was interested in art, and so we would come here together often, and I would say that by the time I was... I don't know, 14 or 15. Um, we we're looking at the Beckman paintings in this collection, and there's a kind of startling self-confidence to this piece. It's so decisive, and it's, um, it's almost showing off in some of the ways that it's painted, especially the hands, which to me, the way personality and body is defined by so few brushstrokes, the cigarette, which from a distance, you see immediately, and you get up close, and it's this feeble... it almost looks like smoke itself. Um, Just as a young art student, I was so impressed by how it was painted. And also at a time, you know, as a teenager, I think everyone is pretty uh, awkward, and self-confidence is not exactly something that is in great abundance, and um, decisiveness uh, was not something that defined my adolescence. and so the sense of inevitability, of stability, um, and also just elegance, a kind of um, cool, I guess, totally permeates this piece. And I think when I saw later works by Beckman that were so torturous and so complex in their kind of formal structure and the bodies sort of wrenched in these you know, theatrical kind of lighting, there's a calmness to this piece in, um, in relationship to those, and it just, it was really centering. And, um, you know, the sort of proverbial still point in the turning world. And I'm not sure even at the time that I would have said it was my favorite painting, but I can tell as time has gone on and it's remained constant, there's a way in which it reminds me of who I was then, what I liked then, also the formation of my own taste. And it's so interesting when you think about the images, the artists, the music—that were the first things that really excited you, that you felt some sense of recognition in—and um, how your relationship to those things changes over time—I'm so interested in not just artworks, but the quality of our relationship to the artwork. Like, there's a narrative and a content and a and history in those relationships, like any relationship. And how do you how do you talk about that? How do you write about that? How do you kind of articulate that. For me now, working next door at the Carpenter Center and coming to this museum for lunch you know, three or four times a week and walking you know, through the courtyard, you catch, the curators have placed this in such a way that you catch a glimpse of it from public spaces (laughs) and you see him down the hallway and so to check in with him three times a week or four times a week, I'm reminded of, you know, who I was where I've gone, he's still here, still confident, still cool, still totally kind of like erect and present. um,
1: Still in the sharp text.
0: Still in the sharp text hasn't changed. um, And I think I... Yeah, I don't even remember his face when I think about the painting and even standing in front of it. I mean, it's well done and it's fine. And there's so many Max Beckmann self-portraits that you recognize him if you've seen his self-portraits before, but um, I just look at the hands. I mean, for me, it's just it's just all about the hands. I mean, they're, they're so solid. And the light on them feels so alive. And this painting is what, 1927? Um, and it just makes you think about that light, you know, almost 100 years ago. And, and even smoking now feels sort of uh, from a different time. Um, the casualness, especially with which he's holding that cigarette, because when this was painted, people would have been smoking in the galleries and they would have stood in front of this holding their cigarette. Um,
1: Yeah, like when smoking was cool. Yeah. When it was like a high-class tuxedoed activity. Totally.
0: And you think about like the cigarette is this ultimate register of time. It's this thing that has a finite Mm -hmm. length built into it in the way in which it burns down. And the way he's standing here, you imagine that cigarette is just slowly burning without him even, you know, smoking it. And that you know, after a hundred years it should be gone, <laughs> but it's still there in its sort of half-smoked um, capacity. And so as a kind of marker of time in an otherwise like very timeless image, I mean, yeah. even though we can look at the collar and look at certain things and imagine it's the early 20th century, it could be the 1960s, it could probably even be like the 1840s. Like, you know, it's a it's a pretty timeless image except for then that cigarette, for some reason, is the one thing that feels like there should be some expiration or, or something that happens with it. So, I don't know. I think all those reasons, um, when I was a teenager, thinking about what paintings could do is just was, just stuck with me.
1: So you did a lot of, of self-portraits in <laughs> high school, yes. right? yeah. And, and sometimes they had a little bit of the kind of Beckmann-esque... Um, They were pretty derivative. Thick lines. Uh Well, I mean, everything (laughs) is in high school. Yes. But um, what about his self-portraiture informed yours?
0: I mean, I think some of it was just like the variety of it and the, you know, there's self-portraits with him sort of like turning towards the viewer, towards the mirror. There's these very frontal ones. there are self-portraits that register the different times in his life when he was a young man, like I think there's one done when he was an ambulance driver in the First World War, and then there's the later ones where he's more world-weary, and there's one where he's wearing a kind of colorful suit, like a blue jacket, and a red shirt, and, or something like that, and I think about that in relationship to this, where it's just like he's gone through, I mean, life in some way, and so I think that variety was something that was appealing. Also, I never could resolve the relationship between painting and drawing. And Mm -hmm. classically, like, drawing is supposed to be about the line and paint is supposed to be about color and its application or fields of color that are built up and you're really not supposed to define things with lines. That was sort of, you know, something that I remember being taught. And Beckmann, along with a number of other kind of German expressionists, really refuted that, and there was a sort of forcefulness in which things were separated and defined, and that was just really natural for me in the way that I enjoyed drawing. Um, And so I think those heavy lines, it's it's like a shortcut to expression in a lot of ways, like the anger of a line, or its thickness, or its energy, or like dark lines around eyes, around mouths, around hands, like it's basically exclamation points in yeah. grammar you know there's no semicolons there's not ellipses <laughs> like it's like, just you can,
1: you can like feel the fist like, exactly like pushing the thick crayon into and i'm the, sure it
0: has a, i mean that has canvas. a relationship to like comic books which is also something that i read a lot of in middle school and high school and that sort of decisive um like illustration i mean has you know line is a very dominant thing in kind of classic illustration and so um i 'm sure because there 's a kind of economy of storytelling that you can do with that, yeah mm. I did make a lot of self
1: portraits <laughs> <laughs> uh, um. I used to
0: make a self portrait every year as a way to like mark time, and because i don 't really make art anymore, it was like a way to just warm up the hand and remember mm-hmm. like the sort of hand eye coordination which feels so good it 's been probably two or three years since I've done it okay, but um, nice. I know I really need to um, usually sometime around New Year's too so it's just like dark and mm-hmm. brooding you know <laughs> it's a winter self-portrait so yeah, very Beckman-esque very, very high school-esque <laughs> yeah I mean you really learn to look when you do that yeah and yeah you can only get better but
1: so uh, I guess one last question I mean why are we drawn to usually self-portraits do have that kind of brooding, right. navel-gazing, you know, kind of like, I think I'm so interesting, I mm-hmm. think my own, you know, even though I, I have deep insecurities and this right. is how it's, you know, I'm this it's, introverted it's artist yeah. Yeah. who's only showing you kind of what, you know, like there is a kind of um, invitation into one's kind of vulnerability right. that you'll see in a lot of self-portraiture. Right. And yet, this is somebody who, it's like we're wasting his time. Right. Why are we so drawn to this portrait? Because people love this portrait.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm and, not the only one, that's for sure.
1: Yeah. And, you know, this is one of the jewels in the collection at the yep. Busch-Reisinger, and it's like, why are we drawn to a self-portrait that doesn't need us?
0: I mean, I think there's so many ways to answer that question. and. The first thing that comes to mind is our relationship to celebrity. I mean, any of the people that we worship or whose images we worship who are movie stars or whatever, they're not looking at me or looking at you. And it's only recently I feel like that there's even been an attempt to pretend to be of the people through social media or something. But that distance, I mean, by him not looking at us, we're allowed to look at him and examine him. I mean, he's I don't know, I feel like when you walk down the street and you meet someone's eyes, like, one of you decides to look away, which is an invitation to be looked at or can be perceived that way, you know? If you don't want me to look at you, then, like, the eye contact remains and then I look away because I've violated something. But there's a sort of deferral that can happen where it's like, an invitation to look, in a way. I think his perceived apathy to the world, to us, creates a situation where we can project onto him. And, I mean, the face is almost like a mask. It's um, almost cartoonishly symmetrical and generalized. I mean, the sort of veins and skin quality that you find in the hands and the fingernails that are are almost feel translucent even though they're very generalized brushstrokes you get none of that kind of a little bit of like flesh in the most light colored part but otherwise he's to be looked at and I think in that way it's a very generous gesture I think the sort of cerebral cool that he's projecting into the world which is a disregard creates an entry for us to feel comfortable examining him and the conditions that would create that, that distance. Mm. I mean, I think about like, I don't know, thinking about other things in this gallery where the subject might meet your gaze and it's just a very different um, kind of penetration or um, like this is not a mirror. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like some self portraits, you're very aware that the artist is looking in the mirror, and then you're the mirror, and so there's supposed mm-hmm. to be some sort of relationship, whether it's empathy or distance that's created, but I don't know.
1: He's not a gun, Sheila.
0: No, exactly. <laughs> there's none of that, kind of, totally, I mean, there's none of that um, vulnerability.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny, it's like a very basic idea about a painting, but it's a thing to be looked at, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's a like the basic premise of a painting, it's like putting something in the world that is um, for us to see and I think he does that.
1: So that actually, I mean, your, the way that you come to this is so, you know, the, the idea that you kind of look at this self-portrait and you see kind of a younger Dan uh-huh. where, you know, you've kind of outgrown yeah. that kind of self-portraiture and that kind of, um, you know, adolescent introspection right. that we all right. have, especially as artists. Right. Um, and yet, this kind of self-portraiture like you have to wonder if if Sheila had lived past the age of 28 mm-hmm. is this what a self portraiture would have turned into right. when he like didn't need us anymore and right. he didn't need our own validation
0: constant yeah
1: yeah like there is something very mature right about this kind of a self portrait that isn't asking as much from the viewer to kind of validate him like he doesn't care yeah. about us
0: yeah cool can be seen as aloof or too important for people or in some ways um, sort of an ungenerous gesture. But I'm interested in the ways that that is a performance, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's a construction. So it's ultimately something much closer to the kind of like moments when all of us create a sort of superficial crystalline image of ourselves for other people rather than letting people in. And I think there's like an assumption of a kind of artificiality in this. I don't think he's trying to convince us that he always walks around in this way and always feels this confident. I mean, it's it's a performance, and it's like distilled. It's like a yeah. it's a it's like a high test, like high proof version of of self. Um,
1: but I think he's earned it. Yeah, you know, by the time he gets to this age, there's there's a kind of. Like, I almost feel like he, this is his response to the kind of self-portraiture that is saying, you know, like, you don't have to beg for it. Right, right. Like, you can actually just right. be who you are and that there's, a, you know, again, not, not somebody who necessarily waltzes around in tuxedos all the time. Right. But there is something very innovative about the way that this painting pushes self-portraiture to something more mature.
0: I think you're totally right. I mean, it's very hard won. I mean, it's the kind of like, as much as it's a performance, it is a kind of, it has a kind of ease that you can't do unless you've done a hundred of these before, you know, (laughs) and it's the confidence that comes with age and, um, you know, it's the whole like fake it till you make it thing. I think he's made it and no longer faking it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's, yeah, there's a certain confidence in, in, Painting too—that something so simple could have such power. I mean, and there's not, there are no pyrotechnics here. There's another theatricality that you mm-hmm. see in the triptychs or other setups where shadow is really dramatic, and it's just like very plain-spoken. You know. Um,
1: so, do you think you might have a different relationship with this, <laughs> with this painting now? Now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're not. You know. I mean, this is like now he's kind of meeting you where you are now. Right,
0: right, right. The confidence isn't something to, well, I mean, I'm still, we're all still needing of self-confidence, but. um,
1: What would you say to your (laughs) 16-year-old counterpart standing in front of this painting right now?
0: I mean, it's funny. I don't think I can, I mean, I can intellectually tell you that the difference is around questions of self-confidence and insecurity and. Uh, image projection and these things which like I feel much more comfortable in my own skin now and I know my weaknesses and my strengths and I'm more an adult than I was and I can identify with that kind of it's like a very adult painting when I probably didn't realize that at the time but because I've like grown up with this work I mean there's a long gap that I didn't live in the Boston area and didn't see it all the time although I probably visited it like once a year when I'd come home for some holiday mm-hmm. so I actually don't have the kind of distance from it that I do from like certain music that I just don't listen to anymore because I just know it doesn't do the thing for me anymore. This still does something for me and so there's a kind of constancy in it which I think says something about the way it's painted as well as my own relationship to it. I mean it's like a, it's definitely, it's like a standard. It's. Um, like a jazz standard or like a Cole Porter song or something that has just like really good structure to it and its affect is so particular that it gives you more of like a mood than a story. I mean you could create a story about this person but I think the overall thing is not necessarily narrative and more affective and emotional and um, tonal. Like it creates a, a feeling... Of self, or of a room, or of a body, more than any story about who this person is, or where he's coming from, or where he's going, Um, because it does feel so like I actually don't care where he's come from here. There is no like before or after somehow. He's like just frozen here. So
1: like a cigarette.
0: Like the cigarette, exactly, exactly. Um, And there's something really exciting about that. That's actually like a very liberating idea. It's like a very, you know, it's like living in the present, which I think most of us have trouble doing, or can be a hard thing to do. And this is frozen in that kind of suspended animation, which I never really thought about it that way until now. But I think um, it definitely does that. Sure. Thought Prince. The best Mm -hmm. cultural institution I've ever been a part of to this day.
1: Newton's premiere art lit mag.
0: Yeah. Well the north side. That's where it all started. Yeah. I wrote to like the faculty director or something. I forget what I said, but I never heard back. (laughs) They were like, move on. (laughs) (laughs) That's what happens when you peak in high school.